Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. If you have a Bible with you, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians. This is a letter that's getting written by the Apostle Paul to his friends in the city of Corinth, which is a real city to this day that you can go visit. But if you turn to 1 Corinthians in your New Testament, you can take a quick look at your table of contents or your flip phone. If you have one of those, I doubt it will turn there, but your smartphone will most likely do that. You can find where 1 Corinthians is at and go to chapter 12 and we'll, beginning. we'll begin there. I am following up what happened last week in our service because um, Kai, our youth pastor, did a wonderful and masterful job of beginning chapter 12. I want to finish chapter 12. Not because I'm trying to fix whatever he did, but he just started off and I get to follow him. So we're going to move quickly because there's a number of things I want to try to get accomplished today. Some videos, things like that, you know, just to kind of tantalize your senses. So here we go. We are jumping into... um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. This is what Paul is saying to his friends. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. The foot says, I am not a part, if the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? And if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, How would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that an extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other, If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles. Second are prophets. Third are teachers. Then those who do miracles. Those who have the gift of healing. Those who can help others those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles 
Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. And that is where the chapter concludes, just before he makes a transition statement to the next chapter. And if you've ever been to a wedding, you know these things that happen? People like each other a lot and they want to get married? You'll most likely hear a pastor, priest, whatnot, will speak about the next chapter. So that might happen next week here at Refuge. Not a wedding, but the next chapter. So we get this idea that Paul is talking about the body, but why? Why so much emphasis on the body? And you have to step back into his world for us to understand what his words mean. Because if you step back into his world, which he is a Roman citizen within the Roman Empire, and if you know anything about your history, and you loved your history class just like I did, you remember that the Romans took over for the Greeks. And it was the Greek Empire that existed prior to the Roman Empire. And the Greeks and the Romans highlighted and celebrated the body. We've got statues all around the ancient world that will prove this, or art pieces that will show that the Greeks and the Romans loved the human body. This is why they even built places in the, in the time period of Alexander the Great, places like gymnasiums, so you could work out the body and you could showcase and show forth this body. But if you look at um, the hierarchy, if you will, of how things worked in the Roman Empire, you get a sense that at the top is the emperor. And then you got the senators below him, the plebeians below that, the freedmen below that, the soldiers below that, and the slaves. And I put the image of a, of a body there because this helps us understand how it is that they thought about things and why it is that Paul is talking about the body. So the way that they thought about things is if you look at the body, at the top of the body would be the emperor, the most important, the one with all the control, with all the power, with all the might. And as you work your way down in importance in the hierarchy scale, you get to the slaves that would be very quickly aligned with your feet, which is why in an ancient context, in an ancient world, when a slave would come in, they most likely were dirty, they most likely were unkempt, and they had no value. So you think about the body as the top all the way down to the feet. This is how it worked in the ancient world. But for Paul, when he is telling them that there are no distinctions, we are some of us might be Jews, some of us might be Gentiles, some of us might be women, some of us might be men, but we are all part of the body of Christ. This is what he's trying to get at. Now, the first video. I wanted to jump into something with you. Um, we have been talking about jumping back into your Bible this year. If you heard Pastor Nikki's sermon from a couple weeks ago, she laid the gauntlet out, the challenge to you to take the Bible seriously. And some of you are like, well, where do I even begin? I want to give you a resource and a tool. If you haven't seen this tool before, I highly suggest it. These are our friends over at the Bible Project. This is a group of people that exist in Portland, Oregon, and I don't know what you think about Portland, but these are good people. So these people take the Bible very seriously, and they have all kinds of resources, and we are going to watch one of their resources on this letter, 1 Corinthians. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, written to a church community that Paul knew really well. 
Corinth was a major port city in the ancient world and had lots of temples to Greek and Roman gods. It was a big economic center. And so Paul strategically came here as a missionary. He spent a year and a half there getting to know people, talking to them about Jesus. And a whole bunch of people became followers of Jesus and formed a church community. You can read about all of this in Acts chapter 18. So after a while, Paul moved on to start churches in other cities, and he started getting reports that things were not going well at all back at the church in Corinth. It was plagued by all kinds of problems, and that's why he wrote this letter. It's broken up into five main parts, along with a final greeting. And these five sections correspond to five main problems that Paul is addressing. And so the letter reads like a collection of short essays on different topics, but there are these core ideas that unite all of the pieces together. So here's what he does in each section. He describes the problem, but then he always responds to that problem with some part of the story of the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus. And he shows how they're actually not living out what they say they believe. And so this letter is all about learning to think about every area of life through the lens of the gospel. So let's dive in and see how he does it. In chapters one through four, the problem is that there are these divisions in the church. There are some other teachers who had come through town since Paul left, a guy named Apollos and then Peter, and people had picked their favorite teacher and then became groupies around that leader and then started to talk bad and disrespect people who favored another leader or teacher. And so Paul, his response to this is kind of sarcastic and sharp. He says, you have to be kidding me, right? The church is not a popularity contest. The church is a community of people who are centered around Jesus. Its leaders and its teachers are simply servants of Jesus. So while you might prefer one leader more than another, it's not worth dividing over and certainly not speaking poorly about each other. The center of the church is Jesus and the good news about who he is and what he's done. In chapters 5 through 7, Paul addresses some problems related to sex. There were a number of people sleeping around in the church. One guy with his stepmother a number of other people still worshiping at the local temples to Greek gods and sleeping with the prostitutes who worked there. Not only that, but there were people in the church who were saying that this was all just fine. They said, hey, we're free in Christ. God's grace is bottomless, right? It's fine. Paul says it's not fine. And with the gospel in hand, he shows just how wrongheaded this kind of thinking is. He says, remember, first of all, Jesus died for your sins, including the ruin of broken relationships that's caused by sexual misconduct. And so if you're a Christian, sexual integrity is one of the main ways that we respond to Jesus's love and grace. Paul also reminds them that just as Jesus was physically raised from the dead, so our bodies will be raised from the dead, which means this. If your body is being redeemed by Jesus now and in the future, then what you do with your body matters. It matters a lot. And it's not yours to do whatever you want with. Paul's being super clear. Being a follower of Jesus involves no compromise when it comes to sexual integrity. In chapters 8 through 10, the issue is about food, but not just food preferences, like do you like or dislike a certain food. The issue the Corinthians were divided over is meat that came from animals sacrificed in the local temples to Greek and Roman gods. And there was a split between the Jewish and non-Jewish Christians about how to respond to this issue. And once again, Paul appeals to some core ideas from the gospel. He says, our allegiance, first and foremost, is to Jesus as Lord, not to any other gods. And so if you're in a situation where there's meat that's been dedicated to another god, 
And there are people around who might watch you and conclude, oh, look, hey, Christians worship Jesus and they can worship other gods too. Paul says, if that's the scenario, don't eat the meat. Your loyalty is to Jesus and you should love those people more than yourself and not mislead them. But Paul quickly qualifies this and says, listen, as Christians, we believe God is the creator of all things, including that animal. And the temple idols, we believe, are just pieces of wood and stone. So if there's no one around who's going to misunderstand your actions and you're hungry, eat up. You're free as a new human in Christ to follow your conscience in these kind of debatable matters. So what makes it okay in one situation to eat, but not in the other? The core principle is love. Love will deny itself and look out for the well-being of other people. And love, God's love, is at the core of the gospel. It's what Jesus did when he died for us. And so Paul says it's what Christians should do for other people. In chapters 11 through 14, Paul moves on and addresses problems in their weekly worship gathering. There were some people who were having really powerful spiritual experiences in the gathering. And so they would start praying out loud in unknown languages. There were other people who might start sharing a teaching or a word from God, and then someone would get up and interrupt them because they wanted to share. And it all was really chaotic, and it was distracting people, especially visitors, from hearing the gospel. So in these chapters, Paul helps them think, first of all, about the purpose of this gathering, to help them see what kind of behaviors are appropriate. He says the gathering is a place where God's Spirit should be working through everybody, and it should happen in a unified way. So he develops this cool metaphor about the church as a human body. It's one, but it has all these different parts, and each part serves a unique and important role. So he goes on to name a whole bunch of things that the Spirit does through all these different people, all for the building up of the church. That's a key phrase in these chapters. And Paul concludes that the highest value in the gathering should be a concept central to the gospel, God's love. And love is a key word in these chapters too. Love will compel each person in the gathering to use their role to serve and seek the well-being of others. So Paul applies all this to the Corinthians' problems. Some people think the purpose of the gathering is to have intense spiritual experiences or to get a chance to speak their mind. And Paul says, listen, I'm a big fan of powerful experiences of prayer, but if it distracts other people or freaks them out, I should stop it because I'm loving myself more than I'm loving those people. The gathering around Jesus should be orderly so everybody can learn and sing and worship and hear God speaking to them. The last problem Paul addresses is the issue of Jesus' resurrection and the future hope of Jesus' followers. There were some people in the church who were saying that the idea of resurrection is ridiculous and doesn't really matter to being a Christian. And Paul reacts to this big time. He begins by saying that the resurrection is an indispensable part of the gospel. We believe in it because of the hundreds of eyewitnesses that saw Jesus alive in a physical body after being publicly executed by the Romans. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Paul says, then his death was meaningless. We are all still lost in our sin and selfishness. We should just stop being Christians. Paul then shows in detail how the resurrection was Jesus' victory over death and evil, how it's a source of life and power for us now in the present, and how it's a promise of future hope for the whole world. It's because of the resurrection that we have a reason to be unified around Jesus, 
It's the reason we have motivation for sexual integrity. It's the source of power for loving other people more than ourselves. And ultimately, it's our hope for victory over death. And so, Paul concludes, we do believe Jesus was raised from the dead, which means this. The gospel is not just moral advice or a recipe for private spirituality. It's an announcement about Jesus that opens up a whole new reality. And that's what 1 Corinthians is all about, seeing every part of life through the lens of that gospel. There you go. That's 1 Corinthians in a nutshell. We're not going to do that every week. But at least I want to show you what people from the Bible Project are all about. They dive really deep. And I don't care if you read the Bible alone every single week, once in a while. You're like, I've always wondered about that. And dive a little deeper with the Bible Project because it's worth it. So this imagery, I actually, for some of you, you're like, I don't remember the part where they talked about the guy having sex with his stepmom. Like, I should get back to Scripture, right? Like, it's kind of fascinating and interesting. Like, why is it that Paul was... All right, anyway, moving on. So we have this imagery... That Paul uses in the portion of scripture that we're in today in chapter 12 when he's talking about the body, the body of Christ, which is a word and a phrase that used to get used a whole lot more when I was a kid and even in generations before. We don't say it as much anymore because sometimes you're like, ah, maybe it's an outdated phrase. But this idea that we're a part of the body of Christ is actually the imagery that should compel us to move forward into the further parts of 2022. So I've been thinking about the body a lot. I even have a quick video that's going to roll behind me for 15 seconds about the body because I've been thinking about the body a lot. Why is it that I'm thinking about the body? Not just because I'm being super spiritual and reading scripture, but because I'm also attuned with what's been happening in our home the last few weeks with my wife. Some of you have been privy to the story that we've told you over the past few weeks that she went in to have her thyroid removed just about 10 days ago because there were some nodules on her thyroid. So um, you've got the thyroid imagery right here. This, I, I didn't even know what the thyroid was before this journey began. And some of you, you know this. And if you even have this uh, other image or video that will show how it works within the body, you kind of get the circular viewpoint. But it sits right there in your neck and there was these nodules. It's almost like a butterfly-shaped organ. It's one of those organs you're like, I didn't even know I had it. But it does a lot. It regulates all kinds of things. Because when you are not regulated, according to the thyroid, everything is messed up. And Rachel wasn't an inactive thyroid. It just had nodules on the thyroid that were potentially cancerous. Her father had had thyroid cancer when she was a child. And so the doctors were like, let's move on this. And so last week, about 10 days ago, they took it out. Now, when they take it out, they're like, it's going to take a few days to get the pathology reports to know what the nodules are. And when they say a few days, I'm very literal about that. Like, they said, actually, they said two days. And it, we know it was a Thursday, and I know we were moving into, like, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. You're like, all right, we'll, get, we'll give you a pass if it's banker hours. I don't know what you're dealing with right there, but could you get my test done and let me know what the pathology reports are? So Monday comes around, people are texting, did you get them? No. Tuesday rolls around, no, didn't get them. Wednesday, I just figured it was going to be more of the same until Wednesday afternoon when Rachel called me and she's crying, crying tears of joy because they returned the results that it was benign. So it was a beautiful day. We, t we cried. We, I mean, we just, it was, you don't know, and some of you do, the release that happens when that good news comes. And trying to be funny, trying to be a guy like me, I was just like, 
so can they go put it back in? And that didn't go over quite as well. Um, I thought it was good, but she didn't. But you look at the imagery where the thyroid is at, it's such a delicate portion of your body. It controls so much. This is what I've been thinking about when I read this scripture, when Paul says, if the head says, I don't want to use the feet, that's absurd because there are so many parts of our body. And, and Paul uses this imagery not as a throwaway, but to rework how the Romans and the Greeks thought. Because if you remember that one image I showed you where the body is there and the emperor's at the top and the slaves are at the bottom, Paul's like, nah, in the body of Christ, there's not a hierarchy like that. That's not how it works. So this imagery of the body, next, next slide, is just this is what I'm going with. This is what we got. doesn't show a lot. This is not seventh grade sex class, all right? We're not going to show a lot. So it's, this is it. This is the body. But what does this even mean for us in this day? My next image I took was yesterday on the soccer field. Some of you have been to these places where they have youth sports happen, and then they trap you there for six hours between two games, and they say it's going to be amazing until the wind report says it's really windy, and you're outside. But this is the image I caught of Coach Horatio um, telling my daughter where on the field she was supposed to be. So the next image shows, I just kind of took out the background, and you show, for those of you who are soccer fans or football fans, I don't know what your style is, but you know the different places. There's 11 members of each team, and you've got different places. There's a goalie, I mean, I have to review as well. There's a center back, there's fullbacks, and I use the, uh, you know, the Commonwealth version of English on this one, so the R is before the E. There's midfielders, there's center midfielders, there's the hole, then there's the forward. Coach Horatio says to my daughter, you are a center midfield, and he says this phrase to her, Hannah, you're in the belly button. Which I was like, I've never even heard that phrase before. It's like new soccer technique. And like at the thing, he's like circling. You're in the belly button, the middle of the field. And she's reading him. Second half starts. Figure that one out too. It's not like quarters. It's two halves. So we're out there. Second half begins. And she is not in the belly button. And he is yelling. Like not like yelling like it's his kid. Not like me, like when I yell, like she can hear a tone, right? He yells like a coach, Hannah, get to the belly button. He's just saying this over and over and over again. She's not listening. I thought she didn't understand him. So I got up to help. Get to the middle of the field. You see the circle out there? Just get to it. Like I'm trying to be helpful, and everyone's around me like, sit down, Dad. What are you doing? Horatio continues coaching. She does not do what she's supposed to do, but she's a really good soccer player. It's really fun to watch her play. She does block well, and she gets that ball. Nothing's going to get by her. And super, super fun. We get in the car to leave. I'm, you know, trying to do like the compliment sandwich. Have you done this before? You start out with something good. You're like, I love how aggressive you are. You know where the ball is at at all times. So good. Hey, did you hear Coach Horatio say, get to the center of the field? <laughs> he said, get to the belly button. Like, have you, have you, did you know what that meant? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I knew what that meant. I said, but why didn't you do it? And she's like, I didn't want to go there. I was like, you can do that? I didn't even know that was a thing. She chose to not be a member of the body at that moment. She was not a helpful part. I'm just kidding. This is, I'm, I'm drawing the analogy out so you see what I'm going with here. 
But when we get back to this imagery of the body, this body of Christ, there's this one verse in all that we have read so far in this portion of Scripture from this first letter that Paul writes to his friends in Corinth. Verse 26 says this, If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. When we join into a thing called following Jesus, and even for some of us, when we are baptized, we go through that act, it's not to just wash our sins clean. We are baptized into a body, a body of Christ, so that we are ever connected. I don't get to just be aloof of everyone around me because I've been invited into this body, this family, if you will, whatever the imagery works for you, this team, and I have a part to play and you have a part to play. And this is what Paul is hammering home. Now, there's this other phrase out there that gets highlighted a lot and people tweet it. They'll like meme it. If you are a GIF or a GIF person, I don't know what you are. They will do this, they'll post about it, and they will feel good about themselves. And I have even been guilty of saying it. And when I read this passage this week, I was overcome with just disdain for having been been guilty of saying this phrase before. And it's this phrase, you do you. This is like our, our generation's mantra right now. You're like, ah, you do you, you do you, bro. I don't care what you are. That's fine. That's fine for you. But when I get to join into this body of Christ, this family of believers who have a mission to follow the king, my world and my, cha- my life are changed. I no longer get to be separate from other people. Which brings me to thinking about Starburst, which... I bought this last night because jelly beans weren't there. And I wanted to go with jelly beans, but Starburst worked just the same. Here's the deal. They're all the same shape, right? Some of us believe we live in a Starburst world. And you're like, where are you going with this, Brenton? And we all know what the favorite, the best flavor of Starburst is. And it's, oh, wow. I thought it would be different. Like, that's not even like, very accurate, but I already knew that some of you are wrong. <laughs> some of you said things like red, and you're wrong. Some of you, I, like, are there yellow people in the house? Like, are we? All right, we need you because we don't want them. We will give them to you, all right? So be around us when we open this up and we will give them to you. And then Orange, I mean, we have to eat it because we're in the city of orange, and we love it, but we are all trying to get to pink. Isn't that true? Like, okay, fine. The crowd goes wild. Some people have left the church already. They're writing emails tomorrow. It's going to be so good. But sometimes we think this is how the body of Christ works. We think, hey, you do you. You've got your color, and you've got your flavor, and that's fine and dandy, and we just get together because sometimes we get put in like a container which is what some people think is a church building. This is the container we're in, and y'all look different because you dress differently this morning. You might even smell different because you either showered or didn't, or you put something on that you maybe make yourself a little bit better. But we think this is life in the kingdom. But it's not Starburst when it comes to what 
Christ is doing. And it's not Starburst when it comes to what Paul is saying to his friends in Corinth because you don't get to just go do you. You've actually got to strike that from your vocabulary. And my challenge for me, and I want to lump you in on this, is don't ever say that again. Because if I am hurting, I want you to be there with me. And if you're hurting, I want to be there with you. If I'm walking down the street to use the body imagery, and there's a pancreas just on the floor or the sidewalk, something bad happened. I don't even know what the story is, but something bad happened. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. Because we don't get to just take the body parts away separately. They only work and function when they are together. And we get messed up in our world today because we're like, well, who's more important? Is it based upon what? And you look at your different criteria that we make and we assume that God loves us on a hierarchy scale. And Paul reminds us that's not how it works in the body of Christ. It's not the head and down to the feet like there would be the emperor down to the slaves. It's a reason why Paul uses Phrases like brothers and sisters, because brothers and sisters come together. It's also why Jesus says, I'm no longer calling you. Any other phrase, I'm going to call you my friend. And that got highlighted in one of our songs this morning. And sometimes we think, oh, that's just too easy. You can't say that. Like, are we really God's friend? And some of you have shirts that say, like, Jesus is my homeboy. I don't know if you have that or not. That was just like in the 90s. It was really fun. But sometimes you're like, is it that way? Is Jesus that accessible? And Paul's saying, yes, that's how it is. But he's not so accessible that we just want him to do what we want. But the challenge is for us to live in community together. So part of me even sharing in an email and even sharing to you guys here over the past couple of weeks about Rachel, it's because I want, I want to model what it looks like to be honest about our hurts and the places that it's really hard. I got to tell you, Wednesday, as happy and joyous as it was, also came with some pain. Because we got the good news that it's not cancer spots, but I also got the news literally no, no less than, I mean, just about an hour later, a really good friend of mine from college, his wife has had cancer return for the fourth time. And she puts the plea out would you pray with us because she's having surgery and it's bad, like really bad. And then I had a friend who, who posted online that he just had his kid and grandpa's in the hospital for COVID and hasn't seen the new grandbaby yet and his dad passed away in the hospital. And so we like hear these stories and you're like, what is going on? Aren't you the God who heals things? And yes, he does. But even when it's not the healing that we expect or we are praying for, there's a sense that healing comes when we are the body, when we are caring for one another in a way that makes sense and showcases what Paul is trying to get at. That is how I want 2022 to be for refuge and for this community, that we take chances and we take risks to share not just the hard but also the good so we know how to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn, and to stand together. At a number of hours in the hospital while Rachel was having her 
her surgery and operation that I just walked around the hospital. It was really fun. I always try to figure out, can I get into places that they won't let me? And some doors were locked, which they should be, right? Like, you sh- I shouldn't be able to walk into surgery, right? I, I think that's good. I'm just walking around the hospital. Just, like, they have these pamphlets. They have these, like, thing, artwork on the wall, and I'm reading every piece of artwork. And then I go to this one little portion of the lobby where they have all these cards, and I take this one card out, and there's this, this ministry at this hospital that provides people to sit with someone who's dying. And on the card, the description is, the commitment of this hospital is no one dies alone. And I'm like, wow, I bet they have like a team and a staff and most likely volunteers, but there probably is even some paid people who make it their mission in life to make sure that no one is alone. And that's the one thing we fear the most in this life, if I'm being honest with you, is that I will go through this thing alone. And when Paul is challenging his friends in Corinth is, that's not how it is in the body of Christ. We don't go through things alone. We do it together. And we do it on mission with the king. And we want to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's pray this morning. Jesus, every time that we open scripture, we are challenged. And my prayer and my hope for my friends and for me this year is that we continue to be challenged into the newness of 2022, but that we don't just settle for what we've known about you, but we also are completely available for how you want to challenge us this year to consider new aspects of your kingdom, new ways that you are prodding us along, new ways that you are challenging us to consider our role. And some of us have very public gifts and some of us have very private gifts and sometimes we don't even know what they are yet, but may each of us take chances and steps and risks to see your kingdom come through the ways that you have gifted us to be blessings to one another and not just a hallmark kind of a way God but in a real tangible expression of the love that you have for your creation may we as a people here at refuge and beyond do that well this year because we really do want your kingdom to be shown on earth right now. And you're using each one of us to do that. You're using us as the body of Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.